Hello and welcome back to another episode of the Transform Your Life podcast. I'm Angela Hauk and today is a very special episode. We have one of my favorite people on and that is my coach Paul Ravella. So Paul is just a guy I've been looking up to him for many many years. I've really built the foundation of my business on the training and nutrition principles that I learned from him. He's been putting out YouTube videos and been putting content online that has really created a framework that's very much in alignment with the things that I believe and what I've been able to implement with my clients as well. So I started working with Paul as my coach in May of 2017, which was last year. Now I chose to work with Paul because I've worked with other coaches in the past, but I've never seen things eye to eye with them in terms of the way that I like to approach a prep or the way that I like to approach a prep with a client. So choosing Paul was just choosing somebody who I knew was very reputable in the business and choosing somebody who I would be able to commit to the plan 100% and know that I could put full trust in him to transform my physique. And that is exactly what this man has done. If you've been following me on social media, the transformation that my physique has taken in the past year has been one of the most profound transformations I've had in my journey. And I really am truly grateful that he's been a part of that. So today's episode is all about sharing his amazing knowledge. You guys sent me in some questions and then I have a couple things that I wanted to ask him about. So that's what we're going to do. We're going to dive into all of that. You guys are going to learn so much. I know that having him on this podcast is going to be really helpful for all of you. So thanks for tuning in and I hope you guys enjoy. All right, so today's guest is Paul Ravella. He is a drug-free professional bodybuilder who has been training in the gym for over two decades. He's the owner of Pro Physique. He's an expert in the fitness industry, and I just think that he is a really smart dude. He has a kick-ass YouTube channel with high-quality content, multiple videos each week, and you guys totally need to go check it out. He's also the co-host of Redefine Healthy Radio, which has up-to-date information in the space of training, nutrition, and health. So, Paul, I have to tell you, I have been creeping you online for many, many years, and uh, you're just somebody that I look up to. So I'm super grateful that you took the time to join me today, and I am really, really looking forward to all of the incredible knowledge that you are going to share with everybody. So welcome. Well, you are far too kind. That is the greatest introduction I've ever gotten, so you're already uh, doing great in my book. No, that's very sweet of you to say. So just for some background information, can you tell our audience who you are? Yeah, my name's Paul Ravella. I've uh, been in the gym lifting weights since, um, don't gasp, I think 1989 is when I first started. Um, Just always been an athletic person. I played baseball at the university level here in the United States. I played on a, a baseball scholarship in college. And early on, just found that I really enjoyed the the idea of kind of manipulating my body, putting on muscle, um, changing the way I looked. Um, that was something that, you know, early, like 14, 15 years old that I really got obsessed with and um, really took that to the next level at 32 when I decided to compete in a bodybuilding competition, hiring a coach. Um, many of you might be familiar with Lane Norton. So I hired Lane when he was still in college studying his PhD in protein metabolism 
And so me and Lane struck up a very good friendship at a, at a point in my life where I was um, able to invest a lot of my time and energy into getting on stage, competing, learning. Um, I returned back to school. I now study exercise science myself. And since then, I started a business called Pro Physique, which enabled me to quit my career of 15 years. So I'm a full-time coach now. And so that venture has led me all over the world, being a part of some seminars, um, meeting amazing clients like you, who I met last year in Toronto. Um, and just, you know, that's basically where I'm at. I'm, I, I guess I would consider myself a, a coach first, um, a fitness entrepreneur second, because I'm, you know, I am interested in putting out information and, um, being a part of more people's journeys than just my clients. I like to, you know, like you said, provide quality information. And beyond that, I am, uh, a husband and a father. I have a three-year-old and I have another one on the way. So that's my life. I basically hang out with my family, put out content, go to the gym and try to make some badass clients. That's my life. I love it. That's awesome. So today's episode, we have lots of questions from the audience that we're going to go into. But to kick things off, the first question, I want to tie it into actually what you just mentioned. So you mentioned that you put on all of these hats and you go from being a dad to being a coach or also a competitive pro bodybuilder. So how do you balance all of those different elements of your life, Paul? Yeah, balance is a word that I think gets overused. I don't really think there ever is balance. I don't I don't think there's the perfect, you know, 33% of this and 30 there, there's not that. There's there's the word I like to use is a word called harmony. Um and and that might look different for every single person. My wife and I we make the plans together. How much I work and how much I spend time with my family, which are the the two biggest things in my life. Um, and I'll, I'll even consider the gym work for me because that's part of my, like, you know, it's my career. It's my fitness career. I wouldn't feel like a good fitness professional if I was 300 pounds and, you know, eating donuts all day. Um, so yeah, I, for, for us, it comes down to what makes sense. When I spend time with my family, I am not thinking about work. That's harmony for me. And when I am working, I'm not focused on what's going on with my family. That's harmony for me. So when I'm able to focus on the single task that I'm doing, that's what allows me to do that. Now, getting here wasn't always easy. You know, I used to try to blend the two, answer some emails while I was with my family and vice versa, do some family stuff while I was working. But I've learned that I need to block out time where it's just committed to one task and I can be very effective at that task and not be thinking about the other thing or stressing about the other thing. Um, and, and it's just taken me a while to get here because when you work for yourself, it's a lot different than when you're told to be at an office from nine to five. And when you're there from nine to five, your butt is the company's. I am my own boss now, technically speaking, like, um, you know, I make my own hours and within that I have to do what's most effective for me and my family. So, uh, you know, I, I don't want to give it, I don't want to preach like what's right for everyone else. It just comes down to what's right for your harmony, what feels right for you. And, 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 and my wife and I have gotten there. We're in a good place now. That might change over the next couple of years as my sons get older and these kind of things. So we'll see. But for now, harmony for me is I literally work at home. I have an office that is detached from the house. So when I come out here and work, I'm kicking butt doing things with work. And when I go home, literally walk in the house, I am unplugged. Don't look at my phone, play with my son help my wife with dinner, give him a bath, put him to bed, all that stuff. So yeah, that's, that's for me is instead of balance, I like the word harmony. 
Mm, I love that. That's awesome. I do have a question kind of to further expand on that. So I know what I had to do recently that was new was I've started to get up between like 2.30 and 3.30 a.m. And that was just trying to um, trying to fit competition prep into our lives. Because if not, I wasn't able to hang out with my son or I wasn't able to have that time. So did you find that you had to shift the times that you were getting up and the times that you were going to bed based on making everything sync up with Harmony? Yeah, for sure. Uh, especially, you know, with the newborns, you know, there is no such thing as sleep. It's basically, um, what, two, three hours they might sleep at a time. So the good thing, the, the, the harmony that my wife and I have is she's a morning person. I'm a night person. So I just took overnight shifts and I was able to, you know, I was able to complete some work early on when I didn't have like six to eight hours to focus. I would take care of the baby from, you know, my schedule was basically like 11 p.m. till about 6, 7 a.m. That was my, I was happy to get up during those hours and work. Um, yeah, you kind of minimize the other things that are going on during your life during that time. But when you work for yourself, um, I was still able to be highly effective because I could constantly be on the computer. So, um, that's one difference when you own your own business and it's internet based. I find I'm able to still be highly effective at my job as long as I get enough hours in the day. They don't need to be consecutive or at a set time necessarily. Um, and you know, once we got through that period, that's when our schedule started to like actually have more like form to it and be a little bit more specific. But for a while there, yeah, it's, you're just kind of trying to survive it. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm, for sure. Now, let's get into some uh, competition prep stuff. So I have somebody that asked, what are your thoughts on off-season cardio for somebody who is looking to gain some size and strength? Should they keep their sessions to high-intensity interval or low-intensity steady state for active recovery? They're worried that perhaps HIT would impede on their ability to recover enough to progressively overload during lifting sessions. Yeah, it's a very good question and... The first part of that question would be, yes, I like cardio in the off season, as you probably remember. Mm-hmm. Um, I do enjoy it because I myself have implemented it and, and removed it. And I just found I performed better, recovered better, digestion was better, just all things better. There are just some benefits to cardiovascular health. It's not a black and white thing where if you lift weights, you shouldn't do cardiovascular exercise. Now, there is such a thing as the interference effect where, you know, cardiovascular training or cardio can interfere with your ability to train and recover for strength and performance. So we want to basically find the perfect mix for that. I like to get my clients down to two, three, maybe four sessions of steady state cardio a week in the off season, you know, as little as 10 minutes per session, maybe even five, depending on the person's like lifestyle and activity outside of the gym. Someone who's more sedentary, maybe we do some more cardio steady state just so you're actually active. Someone who's less sedentary and on their feet all day, I might remove it altogether. You know, people that are like waiters, bartenders, um, you know, I've had people that lived in New York City and used to walk half an hour to work each way. You know, those types of situations we go, okay, we don't need extra cardio for that. Um, as far as hit cardio, the most cardio I'd want to do in the off season for hit would be maybe one session per week. And what I would suggest is doing it after a lower body session. So with hit cardio, you know, it's, it's basically very intense, lower body, um, usage. And so we want to make sure that you're recovered. So what I wouldn't want to do is try to do a hit cardio, like let's say sprints. 
the day before a lower body session, right? You're going to have some soreness, some tightness. You're probably not going to perform as well. Likewise, I wouldn't want to do the hit session the day after legs because you're going to have some soreness, some stiffness, and you just won't perform as well. Whereas if you do a really good leg session and you're already warm, you're already at the gym, and then you go do some sprints either on a bike or however you'd like to perform them, um, you're already ready to go. And that way you're kind of benefiting, cardiovascularly speaking, from the post-workout um, you're already warmed up and you can go crush that hit session. So that's how I kind of like to pair that in the off season. Excellent. Excellent. And I would say that I uh, totally agree with everything that you're saying in relation to that as well, Paul. I've certainly seen that that structuring it in that way in the off season feels best. And I, I know certainly with the way that you've been designing my uh, programming and dispersing the amount of cardio, I have been able to see some good gains in terms of my physique. So that is fantastic. Now, I think I think that's an understatement. Uh, <laughs> you you look freaking amazing right now. I'm so excited to uh, see see how we do this year. Yeah, I'm pretty pumped too. <laughs> I uh, I've never seen my physique look like this, and I actually didn't think it was possible after having my son. I wasn't sure exactly what things were gonna look like, but but I'm yeah very happy with what, what we've been able to do. So that is good. Awesome. Next question. So what steps should somebody take ahead of time to ensure that they set themselves up for success for their competition prep? So some of the things like rehabilitating their metabolism and things of that nature, what would you say are the foundations of setting up for a good season? Uh, so two things. So there's two different types of people in the situation, someone who's never competed and someone who's coming out of a competition for someone who's never competed. The most important thing to setting yourself up for success is going to a competition, finding a competition that you are interested in competing in, go to it, watch it and see what it looks like. I think a lot of people go and compete in their first show, having never actually been to a show, mm -hmm. not knowing what to expect. This was without a doubt, the best thing I did for myself as a competitor was going to a show and I committed in my mind then to do the show the next year. Immediately, my mindset changed, my mindset shifted. Instead of putting other things first, I put my goals first. I started paying more attention to my diet. I started paying more attention to my training. I started paying less attention to, you know, going on weekend drinking benders and staying out late. Um, if it is going to interfere with my ability to get on that stage that next year, I looked at it as, okay, I need to start changing my behaviors and my lifestyle if that is my goal. Um, so that is huge because then you can start to visualize what your actual goal is, right? So yeah, it's important to have the proper metabolic capacity. It's important to have enough muscle to be on stage. And if you've never been to a show, you might not actually understand what that looks like and how important it is. And when you see people on stage that are actually lean and look fantastic under the lights, it really helped me. And I, I, this is something I preach to all my clients and it will help them know, okay, this is what we're working towards. And it kind of just gives you that extra motivation so that each day you go to the gym and each day you make a meal and every choice you make, you can kind of tell yourself, all right, maybe this is something I should or should not do based on my goal to do that the next year. The other type of person is the person that's been on stage. For that person, now we have some data. We can look at the pictures of somebody who's stage lean. When you're stage lean, it reveals all your flaws. When you got a little bit of body fat, 
you can hit some poses and still be like, well, I'm not sure. You know, like you can kind of hide your your weaknesses. When you get stage lean and you get some pictures back, that's when you need to start paying attention to, okay, what is my goal as a competitor? I've competed, but if I want to climb the ladder and I want to get on stage with more muscle, what does that actually mean? That might mean taking two years off from getting on the stage or three years off from getting on the stage, depending on how long you've been training. You know, training age, meaning the the time from zero to, to how long you've been training has a lot of impact on how much muscle you bring to the stage. The less training age you have, meaning if you've only been training a year or two and you diet for a show, I, I, you're going to lose some lean body mass. Your body just hasn't been doing this long enough to, to retain it. And so when you start losing body fat, your body is also going to lose a little bit of lean body mass. Whereas if your training age is longer, five years, 10 years, 20 years, when you diet for a show, that muscle is much more resilient, right? Mm-hmm. Um, you know, some people call it muscle maturity. I don't like to be called old, but <laughs> yes, I have muscle maturity because I've been training in the gym for over 20 years. And so when I diet down, my body is much li- much more likely to hold on to muscle than someone who's been training one or two years, right? So mm-hmm. it comes down to after that show, yes, you want to do some things like right, like a reverse diet. You don't want to put on body fat rapidly and make it so that you know you spend the first part of your next prep just losing body fat that was unnecessary. Um, but if we're just talking about like you know high sky view of this, yes, you need to look at the product that you brought to the stage, what your weaknesses are, what your goals are, and how you're going to get to that next step. Mm-hmm. And what qualities would you say that uh, you see in your most successful athletes? Um, this is something that goes across all boards, but the, the, the thing that most successful competitive bodybuilder athletes have is the ability to set goals and work for them for a long time without that instant gratification. Mm -hmm. Um, I noticed this amongst a lot of high quality competitors. They're also high level people in other areas of their life. They have high degrees. They have other skills. They're highly accomplished in other areas. Because it's almost like delay gratification. You have to be willing to put in the work day in and day out in the gym and in your diet and not really see a whole lot of difference for years at a time. Yeah, you're getting better, but to the to the untrained eye, you're not really changing that much. You know, you and I might train in the gym for a whole year and only put five or ten pounds on a lift, right? Mm-hmm. For some people, that just sounds miserable. Why would I do all that work for that little reward? Well, for people like me and you, we can't not do it. It's just mm-hmm. a part of who we are. So yeah, highly successful clients of mine are already highly driven. They just need the proper knowledge and vehicle to get them and put them in position for their work and their effort to be rewarded. And that's basically who I work with is intermediate to advanced people who have probably worked or found a program online or you know been training for a while and they're just not seeing the results that they, they were before. Um, and that's the great thing about competitors is that we're, we're constantly in that mindset of like, okay, what's going to get us that next, that next little bit of lean body mass to get on stage with. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm, absolutely. And that was one of the reasons why I reached out to you is that I knew that by working with somebody of your caliber, that it was just going to be able to take my physique to that next level. Cause I had been building for multiple years and knew that I eventually wanted to get back on stage. But I knew that by working with somebody who was an expert in this space, I would be able to in- increase my uh, ability and, and, and the way that I look on stage that much more. So 
Um, yeah, no, I, I don't know how much you share publicly about your your transformation from when we've met to now, but I mean, it is just remarkable how amazing you look. So you clearly put in a lot of work, and you handed me a very good product to work with. You know, we we went through a building phase, and now that we're cutting, like, I, I it's just your physique is just phenomenal. I can I cannot wait to like finish this with you. So yeah, I hope hopefully you're sharing that journey with people. I am, and actually, it's so funny because. When I shared kind of I was getting leaner and I shared a picture and all of these people were like, holy moly, I feel like this just happened overnight. And so what I did was I actually put together a video of the week by week check ins all the way from when we started just so that people could see that there was that progression over time, because at that point I hadn't shared as much of the building process, sure. but when they saw that side by side, they were able to kind of see. Okay, yeah. Oh, I'd love, I'd love to get that video. I'd love to share that. Do you have that? Yeah, I do. I can. Oh, cool. Yeah, I'll send it Perfect. over to you for sure. Perfect. Um. All right. So we got another question here. As a young person in the gym, he's he always thought that doing more was better. Training six to seven days a week, two hour sessions, lots of volume, taking everything to failure, and now being a more uh, advanced lifter, he realizes that. Uh, to continue to progress that he's at a point where you do need time to recover and you do need time um, to just not take things to failure all the time to be able to make progress. So where he's at right now, he wants to know, would you recommend that somebody who's going from overtraining to wanting to decrease their volume, that they do that rapidly or that they slowly cut it out? So for example, going from six to seven days all the way back down to three to four or just tapering it back by cutting a day out uh, and then structuring it that way? Yeah, I think the most important thing is, you know, without having a whole lot of information, that was very like, you know, vague. I would say, if you're training six or seven days a week, cutting it back to five and having two complete rest days per week is probably going to have a profound impact on your ability to train multiple body parts in a day. So still hitting body parts twice a week, but recover and adapt instead of constantly training in a place where you're still sore from the last session or not performing because the muscles are not recovered, right? So yeah, I mean – this is the exact kind of thing I deal with. This is exactly what I what I tend to do, and it's what makes me most excited is when you when you get to that point, because when you first start training, there's almost no point in following a program that is, you know, scientifically, because science has shown beginning trainees respond to any stimulus. It's a stimulus to your body that you haven't gotten. So going into the gym and just doing arms or just doing shoulders, lifting some weights, you're going to get a response. Over time, as this individual got to, you just kept doing more and more and more, and then then we have what's called the law of diminishing returns. So you're no longer, the longer you're in the gym, you're no longer getting the benefit that you were from only a short session, maybe a year ago, maybe a few months ago. So this is where we have to start looking at things like periodization, recovery, autoregulation. Um, this is where things that are actually being tested now, which is very exciting, um, and being put to use can be beneficial. Uh, Lane Norton years ago, uh, put out a program on, uh, simply shredded.com called fat power hypertrophy adaptive training. And it's something that, you know, he put me on early on and it changed the, the way my body responded because I started training body parts twice a week in different rep ranges, meaning 
the, the intensity of the, 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 the workout or the set that you're doing is based on your one rep max. So if you're doing one day where you're staying in the 60 to 70% intensity range and another day where you're doing 70 to 85%, those are two different intensities. And so the science has shown that training in this manner, non-linear, so not the same rep range each time you train, is actually beneficial. And so that's that's something that's come out in the last decade that's uh, freely available to look something up like that. Um, and that's that's a method that I still to this day use for myself and my clients, programming nonlinear methods. Um, so absolutely, that's a thing where I take two days off a week and I train with intelligence, not just going in the gym and crushing it 99% of the time. You're paying attention to those things that I can and that I can manage. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm, for sure. And is that the way that you would structure it then if there was a lagging muscle? Like, for example, training at multiple times a week and then training at different percentages um, of your one rep max? So a lagging body part, um, you're going to go back to like some Joe Weider training programs from the 60s, right? Um, you're going to prioritize it. So let's say it's back and chest day and you have a good chest and a terrible back. Well, when should we train the back? first make the make the body part that needs the most work a priority and then yes you can train it multiple times per week you know if if you have a really lagging body part like let's say somebody had a career doing something that that created like some very strong limbs but they're lacking something severely i've even put people on an overload program of doing something 3 days a week doing shoulders 3 days a week doing you know quads 3 days a week just because that body part has been so untrained that you can genetically get it to respond rather quickly by doing some you know, higher frequency stuff like that for short periods. Now, this would only be for a few weeks at a time. This would not be for like a year or even, you know, if we're talking about <clears throat> macro cycles, this would not even be probably for more than uh, six weeks, right? But it's something where you can get a response like that. So yeah, absolutely. That, that, I, I, would, I would agree with that. Okay. Excellent. And if you're in a build, what's an acceptable rate of gaining per week? So this also comes down to training age. So if your training age is like nothing, like you've never trained before, um, you know, I've seen young men put on 15, 20 pounds of lean body mass in a year and keep their body fat relatively in check. So there you're looking at what, one and a half, two, three pounds per month based on, um, you know, law of diminishing returns. Maybe the first month you're gaining three pounds of lean body mass and, and, and declining from there. Um, whereas someone like myself, 20 something years in the gym, my rate of lean body mass gain is probably a few grams of muscle per year. Mm-hmm. So adding muscle, as we all know, is very difficult. Adding body fat, very easy. So I like to focus a little bit less for the advanced athlete on the scale and more on body composition and performance in the gym, adding calories conservatively as we need them versus someone who's young and just getting into the gym. If I get a client like that, I'm really focusing on making sure they're getting enough to put on the lean body mass that their body is capable of putting on. So yeah, it's, it's a sliding scale. So if I was to say a number for an advanced athlete, I'd say, two to three pounds a year that's something that i pay attention to maybe even less at this point because it's just not it's not changing my lean body mass on stage right my stage weight Mm -hmm. whereas you know someone that's relatively new uh zero to five years yeah maybe you're allowing yourself to gain a pound a month or a half a pound a month or three to four or five pounds a year you know as you get involved 
Mm-hmm. 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 For sure. I'd, I'd agree with that as well. Uh, now, in terms of strategies for fat loss stalls, what kind of strategies do you like to implement if things just aren't moving with reduction in body fat? Yeah, my favorite is um, a couple pallets of Krispy Kreme donuts or maybe uh, Tim Hortons, right? Um, <laughs> yeah. Uh, fat loss stalling is... Uh, it's inevitable because our bodies mm-hmm. are adapting. So a lot yeah. of people get frustrated, like, well, why does fat loss stall? Mm-hmm. And so the, the my favorite thing to in- include is like a refeed day, scheduled refeed day once a week, twice a week, depending on the person. Um, but once you hit those sticking points, inevitably, you're going to have to continue to create a caloric deficit, whatever that may look like. For some people, that might mean more cardio. For some people, that might mean less calories. But in some way, shape, or form, the overall calorie expenditure is going to have to outpace the calorie intake. And so what people usually don't really understand is that our metabolism is very dynamic, meaning if you're losing weight on 2,000 calories and you stall, well, your basal metabolic rate has adapted. You're, mm-hmm. you're, you've adapted. And also if you've been doing cardio, well, your body is now adapted. Those are now your baselines. So you're starting all over. You have to create a new deficit and move from there. Now, uh, how we do that highly individual it's sport specific for me so if i have a physique competitor i want to try to minimize you know endurance type cardio if i have a lifestyle client it's like i don't care how much cardio i do i just want to lose weight well then they might get more cardio than a physique athlete right so um, it just depends and someone might tell me i'm starving all day long i'd rather eat more and do more cardio some other people might say i i'm having to like choke down my last meal of the day because I'm so full. Well, when they hit a plateau, it might be easier for them to reduce calories. So as a coach, you're kind of always trying to get under the hood um, of the athlete as if the athlete were a car. You try to, you know, the psychology, the physiology, the lifestyle. It's not just black and white. It's not just, um, you know, okay, we got to add some cardio and reduce calories. You got to try to play with the variables because the most important thing is that you're creating a plan that is sustainable for your client. And Mm -hmm. so I can't tell you exactly what to do, but you know, you having worked with me now for a while, you've seen like refeeds, how I've changed cardios and macros that would look completely different for everyone else I work with. Um, I have the same theories and philosophies and you know, all the experience that I have of doing this full time for six, seven years now comes into play. Um, but a lot of it comes into the feedback that I get from the client and what's going good, what's not going good, how is stress, how is sleep, you know, all the, it's a big picture. It's not just black and white. Okay. We didn't lose weight this week. Well, what else was going on? So that's the basic of it, you know, without, you know, I'd love to have this person give me a specific, this is my macros. This is my life. This is my cardio. I've stalled. What would you do? Mm-hmm. I could give them the exact answer as if they were client. But when I'm trying to be a little more vague here and try to give like, you know, like philosophy type answers, this is what I'll say. You just have to create a caloric deficit in the best manner possible for you. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm, absolutely. Now, diving into you and uh, competition prep, we had a couple questions in that department as well. So how do you personally deal with hunger, energy, irritability, and lack of sex drive during a competition prep? All right, so let's go in those in order. What was the first one? First one was hunger. Hunger. Uh, oddly enough, hunger and contest prep it's almost like a sign that it's successful. Like 
psychologically speaking, yes, when you're hungry, it kind of sucks, but you get used to it and you almost feel guilty when you're not hungry in contest prep. So I don't really have an issue with hunger. Um, the best ways to deal with it, like from a coaching perspective, what I tell my clients are choose high volume foods. We want to do that. Um, and as you get hungrier and hungrier, um, appetite suppressants are great. Things like caffeine, um, you know, the, the products that are labeled fat burners, I don't like to use them because they burn fat. I like to use them because they are appetite suppressants and they also give you energy. So I believe the next one was, um, energy. energy. So how do you deal with energy? Now that's, that's a real issue. So we don't get to do a contest prep and go live in our mom's basement and just come out for the gym and go back to sleep, right? We have to function yeah. as moms, dads, uh, you know, coworkers, brothers, sisters, whatever it is, business owners. So that's where I start to really place an importance on nutrient timing. So yes, we're flexible dieters. Yes, we eat meals um, that fit our macros for the day, but food is also going to give you energy and you're going to be able to recover better. So you might need to time your meals so that they give you enough energy to, to perform and work. This is where also where caffeine can play an important role. I'm a big believer in using caffeine. It's highly effective when used properly. And um, as long as you're not overdoing it in the off season, you should have plenty of room to start adding in some caffeine during prep. And if you need to use it multiple times per day, an extra cup of coffee, an extra uh, pre-workout, you know, sometimes I even take like nootropics, which are like mental stimulant basically, um, to get my work done in contest prep. Because again, contest prep is not my priority. It's not my only thing. It's, you know, well down the list of other things. So I do things to ensure, um, that I'm successful in all my endeavors. And that's, those are the strategies that I, I help my clients with. I try to, you know, I'll break down the situation. Okay. When are you tired? What is this? You know, when do you feel great? Maybe you change your workout times. If you have more energy in the morning to work out, maybe you start working out then because your workouts are better quality. Um, you know, as opposed to in the evening, when do you get hungry? Do you get hungry late at night? Well, maybe we do something like eat a few less macros in our earlier meals and save a nice big meal before bed. So you start to turn this whole thing into what works best for you, what requires the least willpower for you and what gives you the best results. Um, but yeah, those are, those are probably the biggest things would be volume eating and, and then appetite suppressants. Mm -hmm. What about irritability? <clears throat> yeah, I, that's something I experience quite, quite drastically. Um, when I get down to like sub, you know, 5% body fat, when I'm stage lean, mm -hmm. very, very short tempered in my head. And what I really learned to do was, um, just keep quiet, keep to myself, um, really think about my answers or my responses to things. Um, and if I knew I was going to go into a situation where there was going to be some volatility, I would make sure I had a meal and had some caffeine and that I was perky. Right. So, mm -hmm. You know, it, it just comes down to know thyself. Like I knew myself. Um, I, you know, I worked in an office the last time I did a deep contest prep in 2012. And I knew, okay, the day or two after a refeed was always my moodiest day. For whatever reason, the hormones were just fired and I would just be so short tempered. So I would schedule myself on those days to be very inactive at work. Um, or I would try to sequester myself and only do the minimal things that I needed to do that day until I was, I felt better. And so, yeah, the moodiness, um, short temper, you know, buy your spouse some flowers. Um, you know, my wife now knows when I start prepping, she says, you know, it could have nothing to do with it, but she'd say, Oh, you're dieting. That's why you're grumpy, you know? So 
um, it's just a part of it, you know, and it's something we learn to deal with. Mm-hmm. I would say even just to add, because I'm kind of in the in the depths of that, I just do very well with alone time. So if I don't yeah. have to interact with people, like getting up a few hours before everybody else and just kind of having that alone time allows me the ability to just focus on the things that I need to get done. And then by the time that I have to have those interactions, I've got my workout out of the way, I'm in a different headspace, and I'm not in the... Um, not not as uh, short tempered as what I would be if I didn't have uh, didn't have that alone time prior to. Now, what about uh, lack of sex drive? Yeah, I mean that's that's an inevitable part about um, being very low body fat because when you're low body fat, if you think about it from a evolutionary perspective, um, basically we're in starvation conditions. We have low body fat. We're not getting a lot of calories. We're burning more than we're doing. So from an evolutionary perspective, reproduction would not make a lot of sense under those conditions, right? Like you wouldn't mm-hmm. want to bring offspring into the world where there's not enough food. Mm-hmm. Um, so I think the the first time you go through that, it's kind of alarming when you realize there if sex is on the table or food is on the table, you will always take the food, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and now depending on where you're at in your relationship with your significant other or if you're not in a relationship, um, it can it can severely impact things because – you have to be able to explain to that person, like, it's not about that I'm not attracted to you or that I do not want to be uh, involved with you. It's that literally, like, I just have such low energy. And, you know, maybe you plan some things like, you know, I definitely would feel a little bit more amorous around a refeed day or some things like that. So, mm-hmm. you know, you just have to be conscious of it um, and try to take into consideration the other person's feelings. You know, I always find it beneficial when my clients are in a relationship with someone who is also competed or interested in the sport. Um, you can tend to get much more buy-in, um, in general, but if not understand that there are going to be some changes, it's not necessarily related to, um, you know, how much you care about that person, how much you love that person. It's just literally like when your when your hormone levels change that much, it just really changes your motivations, the way you feel, um, and we can try to augment that as much as possible. But at the end of the day, the the big thing is you just have such low body fat that it's it's your body's way of saying like, okay, this is this is not a priority. The 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 food is a priority. You're just that's just the way your brain works. Mm-hmm. I think communicating that with your partner is a, a big. F- component and then also expressing that this is just something that is very temporary right there there's no need to prep for an entire like prep for an entire year or or be at such low body fat percentage for such a long period of time that it's an ongoing issue it's often just short period of time yes i have decreased sex drive but this is going to be over soon kind of thing so I would say that's kind of the way that I've uh, been able to handle it from my perspective as well. Now, I know that you are possibly planning to compete this year, depending on baby and how things go. So what's drawn you back to the sport, Paul? Well, one thing I've really come to understand as a coach over the years is nothing can get you um, in tune with your clients like being in their shoes. Um, yeah, definitely. It, it's probably the thing that's allowed me to be uh, the coach that I am today was that I started off as a competitor um, doing multiple competition seasons before I ever coached a client. So <clears throat> when a client would have a question about something, I could definitely relate um, and be a resource for 
you know, not only the the psychological aspect of like I'm suffering, I'm hungry, um, but also like what shows to do, what tanning products should I use, um, helping people prepare for the backstage mentality. If no one's ever been backstage before, that's very intimidating. So, um, yeah, I think that's that's probably the secondary reason that I'm I'm competing this year. Is you know I really like to um, get in the you know what I'll say that's number three, and we'll go backwards. So number three <laughs> would be. Just, you know, I enjoy putting myself in the position that my clients are in. I did a show in 2015 as a men's physique competitor. I did not get truly, truly lean for that. I dieted um, with my my um, my business partner, Lauren, who was competing and just wanted to experience the, the show for fun. This year, I'm, I'm, I'm planning to be a bit more competitive, right? So partly... I want to get into, and, and I learned a lot that year, just doing that one show. I was like, wow, I forgot what it's like to be backstage. I forgot what it's like to have this anxiety and people yelling at you and not knowing what time you're going to go on. Right. Mm-hmm. It helped me. Um, and then the second reason is, I mean, you know, I got into this sport because that's what I wanted to do. I loved, I love competing. I love getting on the stage and it's just been a couple of years now. 2012 was the last time I did a bodybuilding show as a bodybuilder. And I, I just want that challenge in front of me, you know, like we go through this process of eating and training and eating and training and sleeping. And, um, for me, it's just an extension of my passion for the gym, you know, like, Mm -hmm. uh, I can only go to the gym so many times without putting a carrot in front of myself. You know, I've done multiple powerlifting meets, I've done bodybuilding shows. Um, and I've just come to the point now where I've got that itch. I've got that desire to get back on stage. It's also, you know, a different point in my life. My life is much more stable now. Like I said, I pretty much just come to work and hang out with my family. So going to the gym, making meals, um, avoiding social situations, it's not going to be difficult for me. You know, like it, it's, mm-hmm. I think it's going to fit into my life a lot more effectively. I actually create a meal plan for myself out of desire for not having to think about food all the time because when you're working, nothing can break your concentration. Like, well, what am I going to eat? Well, I got to go to the store. I got, you know, so, um, I think under these conditions, I just want to really push myself. And and lastly, and probably the most narcissistic reason is um, with the advent of social media becoming so prominent and media in general, it's just so much better now to get quality content with cameras and pictures. Um, I don't have a lot of professional content. I've never dieted with the intent of, okay, I'm going to do some photo shoots get some professional quality images of myself to market my brand, my business, myself. And so that might sound a little bit selfish, but I just don't have that material. And so, you know, like being on your podcast, I was on over 40 podcasts last year and inevitably they always say, Hey, can you send us over some marketing material? And inevitably I'm sending them like my best pictures from the gym from 2012. You know, I don't have like that, um, high quality images. So I want to document it a little bit, you know, continue to grow my YouTube, my Instagram, my, my brand as a person and as a coach. And to do that, um, it's just a good opportunity. Last year you met Chad Nutter. I I hired a videographer to, for the whole year to come with me to every event I went to and that went extremely well. So yeah, Chad's definitely going to come be a part of my life during this process. And, um, so we'll be documenting it. I'll be getting materials. And so it's just going to be about, you know, doing this contest prep at a point in my life where things are different, see how it goes, get some materials, become a better coach and cherry on top of the cake. I get a bunch of uh, stuff to post on Instagram and get some likes. 
(laughs) (laughs) Excellent. That all sounds fantastic. Now, what are some of the other projects that you're working on for the year there, Paul? Um, You know, the biggest thing that I'm working on is being a better coach overall. So this year I'm planning to attend all the national shows that I can. Last year I went to three. This year I'll be going to four. Um, I'm also looking at, you know, attending as many of the local shows as I can. And if I get multiple clients doing a show, then I'm going to be doing that. So the biggest project is project coach Paul Ravella. Just be a better coach, be more hands-on, um, talk to my clients more, you know, the, as I've, as I've gotten more and more into coaching, the thing that I really loved doing is just being a part of people's lives and journeys. And so that's the biggest thing that I'm working on. Um, uh, me and Lauren Conlon, who's also a coach and she works for me as my like stage presence coordinator. Um, she works with all my females on getting on stage. Um, she and I started a podcast last year in, I want to say August, September. And so, you know, this year we want to just put more effort into that. We want to make sure that we're putting out good content. She's actually in the other room waiting. We're going to record a podcast this afternoon. So yeah, Redefine Healthy Radio is kind of like a passion project of ours because whenever she and I get together, inevitably we have these fantastic conversations that we think would be good to share. So it's it's not super formal. It's just us chatting about a topic that we that we feel like, you know, would be beneficial for listen people to listen to. And we're, we're approaching a hundred thousand downloads since, you know, August. So, um, I feel like it's doing very well. I think today's episode will be episode 20. So that's probably the two big things that are like professionally. And then personally, like my baby's due in May, my second son. So, you know, raising a son, raising a second son, you know, those are, those are obviously like big life goals, uh, for the year is just, be a bed, a good father and dad and um, continue to grow my business and just be just be better at everything. You know, um, I have some other little little odds and ends projects that I'm not going to really mention that are, you know, aimed at like kind of entrepreneurial fitness stuff, but nothing that's going to supersede the big things that I'm doing as far as coaching and fatherhood. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Now, where can people find you online, Paul? Well, I'm uh, blessed with a name that is very unique. So my last name is Ravella, R-E-V-E-L-I-A. So if you type Paul Ravella in your Google machine, you will find a plethora of information from my website, which is prophysique.com, my YouTube, which is uh, slash Paul Ravella, Instagram, at Paul Ravella, um, Facebook, Paul Ravella. So if you can't get a hold of me, you probably have an issue. Like there's really, it's, um, it's a one step process. Google click contact. Uh, I will get back to you. Um, yeah. So, um, I'm very interested in, you know, improving my growing my business, my brand. So I, I try to keep that layer very thin. You know, I, I, I don't know what it's like to have millions of followers. I'm still very, very, um, I would say personal as far as that comes, you know, so I, I find it very lucky. I'm able to reply to most of the people on my comments on YouTube. Uh, most of the comments on my Instagram, I try to keep up with all the DMS and stuff. You know, I haven't reached that point where, um, I hate social media because I get so many messages. Um, I still very much enjoy it. And then I've hired my, uh, my assistant who actually helps me with, you know, all of my like day to day tasks that are not coaching, Uh, Karina has been a godsend because I can actually focus on coaching more now. She handles a lot of the stuff for me related to my bodybuilding show that I promote. You know, if I have an event, she helps me with my flights. Um, You know, she helps me with scheduling. She helps me with uh, client inquiries. So it helps me keep my focus on the things that I need to do. And 
So, yeah, those, those are the big things for this year. Just, I don't know, continue to grow. Nice. That's awesome. Now, I do wrap up every episode of the podcast with one final question, Paul. So I don't know if you've heard an episode of the podcast, so maybe you don't know what the question is, which will make the answer even better. But I never uh, like to know the questions. People always say, oh, let me send you the questions. Hell no. I want to answer them. So. No, just, just whatever comes out uh, is fantastic. So how would you like to be remembered when you pass on? Uh, as of recently... Um, I really want to be known as a great dad and a great coach. Mm-hmm. And what does great mean? Great means that the people's lives that I impact, um, you know, when my name is brought up in a sentence or put down, um, there's just an abundance of, you know, I met him, I knew him, um, and very positive comments after that and, and whatever, you know, I understand that I'm never going to be able to be a hundred percent with that, but you know, the overwhelming abundance of just, you know, uh, I, I enjoyed his presence. Um, he was nice. He, you know, like just genuine, authentic, whatever the words may be. Um, yeah, I, I think that's what I want to be remembered as, you know, I think that's one thing, one way to live your life, right. Is if you think about your life in reverse, like mm-hmm. think about your funeral Think about who's there, why they're there, how many people are there, who would show up. And if you live your life in a manner where you try to have, um, you give more to people than than you take from them, um, I think you'll always be doing well. And I'll I'll be honest, like, it just makes you sleep well at night. I just feel like, I just feel great when I'm able to help people benefit them in whatever way, coaching, business, life, whatever, whatever experience. So, yeah, I just... That's what I would like. Just, you know, and then, of course, with my kids, um, I would just want them to be like, you know, like the way I feel about my dad. Like, he's just basically the greatest human being on the earth. Like, he did everything for me. Um, I was his priority. And so I would want my kids to to feel that way, too. Not only that, you know, I was a good dad, but that I was a good example, role model. Like, you know, not necessarily they have to follow my footsteps, but I would like them to be able to um, pursue their passions, you know, and, and do so with vigor. Amazing. Amazing. Well, I just want to say thank you so much for spending this time with me today, Paul. Thanks, Angela. Oh my goodness. What a great episode. I am just so pumped that Paul was able to join us today. And I hope you guys took away some good nuggets, some good appliable things that you're going to be able to put into action into your lives. So thanks again for tuning in, guys. I really appreciate your time. I also need to say Every word of support in relation to my competition prep for those that are following, your words are fueling my fire so hard right now. This has been a really rough week for me mentally, but know that all of those words of encouragement are really what's pulling me through. So thanks so much, guys. I really appreciate you, and I hope you have an awesome week. Bye.